The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. But if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the word of God speaks to us. Thanks, Kristen. Uh, you got the tongue twister of chapter 15, so thank you. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline, and it's so good to be with you. We, uh, just last week, so if you, if you haven't been with us for a while, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians for a long time, but we spent about eight weeks or so uh, in chapters 12 through 14 looking at the spiritual gifts, and then Brandon last week really beautifully transitioned us out of 14 into 15, and I'm really excited because the next couple weeks, almost a month, uh, we're going to be looking at the resurrection. What, what does Paul have to say about the resurrection of Jesus Christ together? And as he begins to kind of land the plane, we're in the last two chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, he, he's zoning in on something that's really important that we really need to, to pay attention to. So before we jump in this morning, I just want to invite you. This is The resurrection is something that's, that if you've been around Christianity at all for very long, you know is a, a core tenet of of. Christianity, and, and so it, this is one of those things that it could be easy to, to just kind of zone out in um, as, as we go through it, but if you're a believer in the room, like there's, there's not many things more important to your life than the fact that Jesus is alive, and so let's, let's, let's lock in for as we, as we jump into the, the resurrection, and, and as well, if you are in the room today and you're not a Christian, I just want to say thank you for being here. It's a brave thing to, if you're exploring the claims of Christianity, to come to a church on a Sunday but you're here, and you're seated in a Bible-believing, gospel-centered church, and I believe that God's done that on purpose. And so I want to invite you as well to, to, to listen. I think God wants to speak to you clearly today. Tim Keller um, described the resurrection as the hinge upon which the story of the world pivots. And so I want to beg everybody to listen, to prayerfully seek uh, the Holy Spirit as we open his word today and ask him to speak to us. And so let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that thousands of years after um, Jesus has, has risen from the grave, we still have your words to point us to the, the actual implications of this, the importance of it. And so would you help us to, to open-handedly with open hearts, open ears, to, to be ready for whatever you have for us today. And we do want to ask, God, that you would speak to us, that you would clearly speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, everybody in the room uh, either knows somebody like this or you are somebody like this who just can't uh, keep to the directions. You can't stick to the directions when you're given something to do. Um, if you're a dad in the room or if you're a husband in the room in particular, you've been given a toy to put together at some point in time. 
that's got 7,000 parts and you've almost had a heart attack in the process of it. Uh, or if you're lucky, you've been given a, a piece of furniture from Ikea, which, is, which I affectionately call adult Legos because I actually really enjoy putting things from, from Ikea together. But if you're anything like me, um, you may enjoy building these things, but I inevitably don't always follow the directions. And so um, I get to get going. I start to coast a bit, skip a step here and there. And in the end, I have a nice looking cabinet with a door that's upside down that, that doesn't open properly. Or my personal favorite, it's that painted piece is pointed towards the back. And then the part that's not painted is pointed towards the front. Uh, in the end, uh, my, my great friend, Ryan Geekus, is here this morning. And uh, there is some bookshelves in this building somewhere that he put together that have the non-painted part facing out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this doesn't happen because the directions are wrong. Um, this happens because normally my hubris gets in the way and I just don't want to follow them. Or uh, it takes a while to get the thing done and you finally are just like, oh, I got to get this done. And you start to move really fast. And uh, this is seemingly... Uh, after we've, we've been, and we're getting to chapter 15 now in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, this seemingly was the full-time job of the people of Corinth, uh, but not with harmless things like cabinets, but with the very words of God to them. So we, we've seen them, uh, now that we're towards the end of this letter, not only do this with sex and the gifts of the Spirit, but with all kinds of things, and in particular now, they're trying to do it with the resurrection. And so Paul's coming at them with force through this passage because they weren't messing with something small like the door to the cabinet or a shelf. They're they're messing with the very legs of the cabinet itself that hold it up. So the doctrine of, of the resurrection of Jesus is central to Christianity. If Jesus is dead in a tomb somewhere around Jerusalem, then Christianity doesn't exist. There's only one explanation as to why a group of scared followers of Jesus who scattered when they came to arrest him turned into the greatest missionaries of all time in the midst of intense persecution and in the end gave their very lives for the spread of the gospel. It's because he didn't stay in the tomb, because it's empty. Scholars believe that the the book of 1 Corinthians was written within about 25 years or so, give or take, of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so at this point in history, um, there's a lot of people that are actually alive still that witnessed the resurrection. And word's gotten out. There's nobody to be found um, of Jesus and to be found in any tomb in Jerusalem. And so realistically, though there are doubters at this point in time whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, the questions about the resurrection... Um, within the church stem more from what it actually means to the people of Corinth than what it means to us now. The implications of such a miraculous thing are what are on trial here. And so they aren't non-believers per se in the fact that the resurrection happened and that Jesus is alive as much as they're non-believers in what it means for them. And so not only was it hard to wrap your minds around the fact that somebody who used to be dead is alive now, and also they claim to be God incarnate, But it was still, and it's still hard to wrap your mind around all the implications, the massive amount of implications that that truth has for our lives and had for the lives of the people of Corinth. Now, Adrian Warnock wrote a a great book called Raised with Christ. I would encourage you to get it and read it. And in it, he examines all of the sermons preached by the apostles in the book of Acts. And the central theme is basically, basically every single sermon is the resurrection of Jesus. And in one of the chapters in his book, and by way to prove a point, he gives a long list of the things the resurrection actually accomplished for us. Things like the sending of the Spirit, 
Salvation by union with Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, freedom from the power and the penalty of sin, our own resurrection, and Jesus' future judgment of this world. And so it's clear that without the actual doctrine of the resurrection, understood as it's preached by the apostles, we have a very different type of Christianity altogether. But over and over again throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, we've seen firsthand uh, the church at Corinth trying to do something that we have a tendency to do ourselves and try and make the gospel more palatable for their minds, easier to swallow. See, the people of Corinth were inundated with pagan ideology on all fronts, and in particular when it came to the afterlife. And so on one hand, Gnostic thought had infiltrated um, their myths with its lies that the body is inherently bad, and that once we die, we can't possibly be resurrected physically because we would still be attached to these current evil bodies that we're in currently. And then on another, on another front, there's the Jewish religious group called the Sadducees that were also in vocal opposition to the resurrection of the dead. And so they're getting hit from left and right for a little bit of context with competing ideologies. And so some in the church had begun to outright reject the fact that there was going to be a bodily resurrection of the dead, which Paul is here to point out that it isn't some small thing to disagree with. It actually negates the very core of Christianity itself because if the dead can't be raised, then Jesus himself couldn't be raised. And so what Paul's getting at is that if you mess with the words of Jesus just a little bit, like we have a tendency to do, the whole thing begins to fall apart. And to them it made the gospel easier to swallow, but what they were actually doing wasn't making it easier to swallow, but they were making it pointless to even ponder altogether by taking away this crucial thing. So we do this all the time, right? Maybe for you it's not the resurrection, but with other areas. In our making the gospel less offensive to some people in hopes to get them in the door only pulls out its teeth. So there's no taking parts of the message you find easy to live by and removing the other parts you don't and then inserting what you like. The gospel is the gospel. The words of God are the words of God, period. And so every time we toy with the truth in order to make it more agreeable and accepting to modern ears, both we and the people we're attempting to help go from being people with firm foundations to people with shaky foundations. And every time we run up against a certain scripture that's hard for us to swallow and we minimize its worth or we even toss it out because it's not with the times, or it doesn't deliver for us what we think Christianity should look like, we build our little kingdoms on the sand, like Jesus, after preaching the entire Sermon on the Mount, warns the people not to do in Matthew chapter 7. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So the reason why Paul is coming at them the way he is at this moment is because the people of Corinth were attempting to do this very thing with the core of Christianity, with the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus. And so in particular, Paul wants the people of Corinth to know and believe that there's no good news at all outside of a resurrected, risen Jesus. A Jesus that's alive is the only way we have any hope in life or in death. And so there's a few ways that he points out. Um, let's look at the whole, the whole passage again. We'll starting in verse 13. 
if I can read it without getting tripped up. But there's no resurrection. if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. And we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, central to the gospel is this. Jesus Christ was both fully God and fully man. And the fully human body of Jesus was tortured, was crucified, and was buried in a tomb in Jerusalem, dead. And that same body is the body that God raised from the dead. It wasn't a different body. It wasn't a spirit inside a different body. It was the very body of Jesus that was raised from the dead. Because central to the gospel is the fact that God didn't embark on this grand rescue plan in order to remove us from these evil, sinful bodies, but to renew and remake them. He didn't embark on this this grand rescue plan to, to take us off the earth somewhere else But he embarked on this grand rescue plan to remake the sin-ridden earth that we live in like new again. He's renewing things. He's not removing us from things. He's renewing things. And so it's a big deal that they would attempt to deviate from this doctrine because as Paul is about to unpack, their meddling has a massive impact on the gospel as a whole. And so Paul is basically saying, for the sake of argument, let's just say that you're right. And tease this thing out to the very logical end of what you're trying to say. If the dead are not raised, he says, then Christ is not raised. And if he is dead, then there's a lot of consequences to that. And every single thing that we're doing is pointless. And so my preaching this morning and all the time I've put into it is pointless if Jesus is not alive. What we do in C groups throughout the week is pointless Without the risen Jesus, the church and its gatherings are no different than any other religious group meeting in our city this week. And we were better off out having brunch somewhere this morning and sleeping in a little longer. By the way, if Jesus isn't alive, you haven't actually been forgiven of your sins. Neither have your loved ones that have already died and gone before you. And by the way, all the things that we are called to sacrifice, defer, to give away and experience in moderation are all for nothing. If Jesus hasn't been raised. And so from the picture that Paul's painting for us, the resurrection could not be any more important. The resurrection couldn't be any more important. And so we should make it of highest priority for our lives to strive to both understand and live in light of the incredible implications of the resurrection of Jesus. It's not an afterthought or a small part of the story. And so more than likely, Um, There's not many people in the room, and there may be some that are actually doubting the actual resurrection of Jesus. A lot of what is actually happening for us is we're not fundamental doubters of the resurrection, but we don't really care about or know why the resurrection is actually important. Because the gospel isn't a Jesus died for my sins, full stop kind of story. I've worked with teenagers for over a decade now. Um, in different avenues, and like the majority of the time, if you ask them, what, what has God done for you? It's, he died for my sins, full stop. 
And the reality is that, like, that's me the majority of my life. Like, yes, and that's a, that is a crucial part of the story. Don't get me wrong. That's a crucial part of the gospel. But Paul's trying to hammer home with authority that apart from the resurrection, we have no hope even with that happening. If there's no resurrection, then we have no hope. I've grown up in the church my whole life. I've, I've probably been to 28 Easter Sunday services or even more um, since I was the age of nine where I was started to kind of understand and grasp what the, what the gospel was and, and God was making it, it real to me. And, and to be honest, I've always felt something, even at nine years old, deep inside of my soul that wants to shout at the top of my lungs and, and sing and clap and dance at the reality of the resurrection. Easter always has felt like this special moment, even if for the most part as a young kid and even a grown adult man didn't understand why it was that big of a deal. But the majority of the time, I'd walk away knowing it's a big deal that Jesus is alive and that that is a foundational principle that Christianity is built on. But I've long asked the questions of, well, what does this mean for me? What's the big deal? Like right now, what does this mean that Jesus is alive? What does it mean for my future? What does it actually tangibly mean for me? That the whole gospel is that, that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, died for my sins, and rose from the grave to defeat sin and death and hell. Because I can hear that, and I've heard it a lot, but I, I've had such a difficult time the majority of my life grasping what in the world that actually means. I've got a lot of books on my shelf in my office, and there's only a few of them that, that describe in detail the resurrection and the implications of the resurrection. And I've got a lot more on my shelf to talk about the cross of Christ and, and, what, and what was accomplished on the cross um, in detail, but not near as many about the resurrection. And so, so I've long wondered, like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? And he's answering, gladly answering the question of what the resurrection actually does for us as he's making this argument to the people of Corinth. And so I want to walk through a few really incredible implications of the resurrection that actually make a difference with how you and I live our lives right now and how we're going to live our lives for the rest of eternity. And so the good news of the resurrection, the first thing is this. The resurrection has profound effect on the way we do church and we live on mission. Because Jesus rose from the dead, our preaching is not actually in vain, thank God. Our worship is not in vain. All the time and effort we put into catechizing our kids, amen, parents, is not in vain. All the effort you put into sharing the gospel with your neighbors is not in vain. If Christ has been raised from the dead, then sin and Satan and death have been defeated, and we truly have the best news to declare and share and enjoy every Sunday. It's why the day we, we celebrated the church in general changed when Jesus rose from the dead. And not only that, but because Christ is raised from the dead, he's now ruling and reigning and leading his church. Acts chapter 5 says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Because Jesus is alive, we actually get to be witnesses to his resurrection for the whole world to see and hear. We get to be witnesses to his resurrection. 
And not only that, but the resurrection has an irreplaceable effect on our salvation, on our justification. Because Jesus is alive, if you have faith in Jesus, then you are no longer in your sins. But the Bible uses language justified by God. That means that you're no longer unrighteous in God's sight, but you're righteous in the sight of God. When God sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son Jesus. But Romans 4 says that it will be counted to us who believe in him, who have raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And so what this is saying is that Jesus was actually raised from the dead for our justification, proof that the sacrifice that was made on our behalf was enough. And listen to this, it never has to be made again. It never has to be made again. And not only for us, but good news for those that have gone before us, our loved ones who have professed faith in Jesus. And I'm not lost on the fact that the resurrection of Jesus always also in a right understanding of it, is good news for us if you struggle with assurance of salvation. Because Jesus' death and resurrection was also God's stamp of approval on the life and death that he gave for us. So the resurrection is good news for our salvation. It's also good news because it brings us hope. Hope in this life. Because Jesus is alive We have hope in this life and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Romans 8 says that Jesus is presently interceding to the Father on our behalf. How insane is that? Forever praying for us. And sending his spirit to live inside of us. To guide us, to convict us of sin. And cause our continual turning back to God. Because of the resurrection, God is not far from us but is near to us. It struck me as incredibly profound this week that one of the verses, one of the Psalms that I've lived my life by, Psalm 23, is only comforting if Jesus is alive. It's only if Jesus is alive that he's walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death and that we can fear no evil. A dead Jesus means no hope in the midst of suffering. It means no hope in the midst of grief, but because Jesus is alive, we actually have hope So if you're sick in the room, if you're suffering in the room, if you've experienced great loss in the room, you have present hope because of the risen, reigning Jesus. And then lastly, because Jesus is alive, we have hope for a future. C.S. Lewis famously said in his book, Mere Christianity, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. This world is not our home, and it hasn't been since our first parents sinned in the garden. But because Jesus is alive, listen to this, because Jesus is alive, he's also coming back to wipe away every tear and to remake the world as it should be. Because the story of the gospel began in a garden, and the story of the gospel ends in a garden, where Jesus is going to come back and make all things new, repair all that is broken. And wipe away every tear and right every wrong. You know, I was blessed with amazing parents. And even maybe more amazing than my parents were my grandparents. And I've talked before about my dad whose future hope in the face of cancer that was killing him is now experiencing present inexpressible joy in the presence of the risen Jesus. 
But the person in my family who's been the greatest example of what it's like to live in light of the resurrection is my grandmother, who's my dad's mom. I got to say, it took me a long time to kind of connect the dots with my grandmother because I never met anybody like her before. Um, But when she was a young woman, she was diagnosed with MS or multiple sclerosis. And so my entire life, she's been both full of joy and faith in Jesus and always incredibly tired and in pain. In my entire life, she has been what I would have described as a younger man, um, less mature man, uh, obsessed with the end times. Um, this is, I grew up in the house where like, all the left-behind books were just thrown everywhere, um, and it's all my grandma wanted to talk about or watch. But what I've come to understand better about her over the last few years is it's not that she's obsessed with the end times in some unhealthy way. She's a woman of immense future hope. She longs nothing more at this point in time in her life as someone who's suffered long and hard to be face-to-face with Jesus. And she finds real hope in knowing that she's going to be at some point in time. So what I've come to respect about her and learn from her is that, that though she has suffered a lot and she's gone through a lot, the only explanation for what makes her a person who's suffered for so long and has never become bitter, but to fall even more deeply in love with Jesus every day and long for the day that she sees him face to face is that she has been changed by the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. She knows this is not the end. And because of that, she can have hope now and she can have hope for a future when every bit of that pain and suffering is gonna be wiped away. So the resurrection, friends, does a lot for us brings us answers, it brings us meaning, it brings us hope, both now and for the future. And so for those of us in the room that are followers of Jesus, my encouragement for us today is just really simple, to live like Jesus is alive. We have a tendency on accident to live like he's dead in a grave somewhere, and it has no impact on what we're doing right now and what we're doing in the future, but I want to encourage us to be people that are witnesses of the resurrection. Witnesses of the resurrection. Our faith is not a cold, lifeless, stuffy, boring faith. We are literally people who are called to be witnesses of a risen Jesus. And so that means we have more joy and we have more purpose and hope than everyone else. And it also means we have the answers that everyone else is looking for. And so be resurrection people, resurrection life, witnessing the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, thank you so much for being here. It's a brave thing to do, to to be exploring (laughs) what seemingly is crazy at times, and to come into a room full of people that believe it. There's a a guy named Stephen Oon that said, why do we have difficulty dealing with suffering? Why do we have difficulty with death? Why do we worry about potentially losing money or career? It's difficult because we think that this broken world is the only world that we're ever going to have. And we want greater certainty than that. And Paul's trying to say that the greater certainty has already been solidified through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you're anxious, if you're lonely, if you feel empty, if you feel depressed or hopeless, the living, reigning Savior... Not some dead man. The living, reigning savior of the world beckons to you to come. He says, come to me, all who are tired and weary, and I will give you rest. I alone will give you rest. 
So the invitation to everybody in the room today is to come and experience resurrection life together. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, thank you for, man. God, thank you that we have hope. Thank you that in the midst of trials, in the midst of loss, in the midst of just being confused and not knowing what to do, where to go, how to do it, that you reached right down into history to be present with us, to be near to us. And you didn't come do this grand thing and then retreat somewhere far off, but you came and you lived and you died for us and you rose again to be present with us. So where we don't have hope and we don't have direction and where we feel lost, God, would you speak to us today? Would you help us to, to grasp the immense the immense implications of the resurrection for us, and would it change us completely? Would it be people who are witnesses of the resurrection? In Jesus' name, amen.